The topic that we're looking at today is the goodness, the love, and the grace of God. Before we do that, let me pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much that you are good, and you do good. And we pray that as we look at this, that you would help us to taste and see that you are good. And may we rejoice in that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> what is love? Who defines it? What does it look like? What does it mean to be good? Who is good? What is grace? And we so often use these words, good or love, etc., so flippantly and casually that we often forget how biblically rich they are. We say, oh, oh that food was good. Or I love that trip. Oh, that was a good idea. Or he loves playing soccer. But in the word of God, words like good or grace or love are such beautiful words. Today we'll be just scratching the surface, but let's do a small dive. In Exodus 33, Moses asks God and he says this, Show me your glory. And what does God say? He responds by saying that he will cause his goodness to pass before Moses. Why? Because God's glory is most fully seen in his goodness. And that's, what, that's why God ordained the fall. So that his goodness would be on even more display in Christ redeeming sinners. God's goodness was already on display in creation, providence, and yet God's goodness was magnified so much more through the fall as God redeemed sinners in Christ. Now these attributes make up God's goodness. His compassion, His grace, His patience, His mercy, His loving kindness and His faithfulness. And that, all those things, are what God declares to Moses as revealing His goodness and revealing His glory. God sovereignly chooses who to manifest his glory to. He says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. And so if we want to understand God's glory, it's most fully seen in his goodness. So we'll be looking at his goodness, his grace, and his love. But first, God is good. God is good. What does it mean that God is good? It's his abundant kindness, his benevolence, his love, and his compassion. And it's his gracious and charitable disposition or attitude towards his creation. God's goodness can sometimes be thought of as, as the umbrella term that encapsulates all these other attributes. But first, God is generous. Now we often say that someone is a good person because of their philanthropy or generosity. They help others out from what they have. And the same applies to God. Psalm 104 verse 25 and 27 to 28 says this, This is the sea, great and broad. There the creeping things are without number, creatures both small and great. They all wait for you to give them their food in due season. You give to them, they gather it up. You open your hand, they are satisfied with good. God generously opens his hand and provides for all the creatures of the earth. Any food you or I have today is from God. That's why we say grace before we eat, so that we acknowledge God's goodness to us and our dependence on Him. How often do you stop to thank God for His generosity? How often do you think about your total dependence on God's provision 
the goodness and his generosity in providing things for you. Psalm 145 verse 9 says, Yahweh is good to all and his compassions are over all his works. He is good. God is so good to all his creation and he is generous in everything he gives. But next God shows common grace and that's part of God's generosity, his common grace. Matthew 5.45 says, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so God doesn't you know, give his son to shine on, you know, his, on his people and then for, the, for non-Christians, they, you know, they dwell in the land of darkness. That happened in Egypt in the plague. Right? It, was, it was darkness, complete and utter darkness for the people outside of Goshen and outside the people of God. But God's people had light. But no, in God's common grace, God shines his light on everyone. And he causes rain. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. God gives food to everyone, not just his people. He has a common grace. Acts fourteen seventeen says, Yet God did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling your hearts with food and gladness. That's a witness. God gives. He gives good he does good things to everyone. And he gives them rains from heaven, fruitful season, filling them with lots of food. And so God is good. His goodness is not reserved exclusively for believers. In some respects, or many respects, God's goodness is particularly shown to his people, but God's goodness is also experienced in many ways, in so many ways for unbelievers. Son rain, food, loving family, sleep, a job, children, so many things God in his goodness gives to those who ignore him and despise him. How good is God? But next, not only does God have common grace and God is generous, but God is particularly good to his people. Now, now God may not give us as much physical prosperity as the wicked. Even Asaph is frustrated by this in Psalm 73. where he complains that the wicked are so prosperous. But God is always good to his people, not always in ways that they want or think is best. But the Bible says that they lack no good thing. Psalm 34 verse 9 to 10 says, O fear Yahweh, you his saints, for there is no want or lack to those who fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but those who inquire of Yahweh shall not be in want of any good thing. There is nothing good that you lack. You may think something is good for you, but our sovereign, all-wise God knows better. Psalm 84 verse 11 says, For Yahweh God is a sun and shield. Yahweh gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk blamelessly. O Yahweh of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. Those who seek God, who fear him, who trust him, and who walk blamelessly in obedience will be given good things. God gives us, as it says, grace and glory. He gives us grace now and glory in heaven. So God is particularly good to his people. But also God is patient. The Bible says again and again that he is slow to anger. It's repeated many times through scripture. God is so good to sinners in his patience. Romans 2 verse 4 says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? 
This is Paul speaking to the Roman Christians about warning them to not think lightly or presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience. Why? Because God's kindness and patience is meant to lead them to repentance. 2 Peter 3 says God's patience means salvation. He endures with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, Romans 9 says. I mean, he, God endured 120 years in the days of Noah, who was called a herald of righteousness, but none repented. God is so patient with sinners, and his patience means salvation. But next, God forgives. God forgives. <clears throat> Psalm 86 verse 5 says, For you, Lord, are good, and by nature forgiving and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. God, because of his nature, is so forgiving. If God was a cruel tyrant, then he would never forgive. But God is abounding, overflowing in loving kindness to all who call on him for forgiveness. Because God is good, he forgives. And this attribute is God's mercy. God withholds a punishment from those who deserve it. But not only is God forgiving out of his goodness, but God works all things for good for believers. We've already seen that God is particularly good to his people, but this is specifically a way that God works all things for good for believers. As I'm sure you know this verse, Romans 8.28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now this doesn't mean that all things are good. But God works them together for good. Now this is a promise for believers, those who love God and who have been effectually called by God, by His Spirit, according to His purpose. God so orders everything in your life so that you are conformed constantly, more and more into the image of Christ. And that's what verses 29 to 30 are talking about, just after these, the two verses after Romans 8, 28. The good God works is that you be made more like Christ. That is the good. God delights to work in you. So God is good and he's overflowing in his goodness. But next, God is love. God is love. We've already touched on this in that God is patient. He shows particularly good to his people. He is generous and he forgives them. And all of these flow out of God's goodness and his love. But God's love... It's a doing love. It's interesting that in one sense, love is never clearly defined in the Bible. It's more described by what it does. That's what gives love its definition in the Bible. But first, what does love look like? It's a doing love. In 1 Corinthians 13, we have the definition of love. And what's interesting is, is that we often think that the way love is described in 1 Corinthians 13 is that those things such as, you know, God is love is patient, love is kind, that they're adjectives. But those words there are actually verbs. Love does things. Love is patient. And that word patient there is a verb. Love does things. Now, there are various words in the Bible used for love, and they all carry with them the idea of a goodwill towards someone else that results in action. Is love an affection? Yes. Does it biblically result in action? Yes. 
Well, sometimes the Bible calls the genuineness of that love into question. 1 John 3 verses 14 to 18 says this, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. By this we have known love, that he laid down his life for us, speaking of Christ, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. We are to love in deed and truth. Through action, that's the deed, and in truth, according to what God's word says, love is. And what's our pattern? Christ's love for us. It says, by this we have known love, that he laid down his life for us. So knowing love is looking at what God has done for us in Christ. <clears throat> 1 John 4 verse 9 to 11 says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In verse 8, just before these three verses, we have the famous words, God is love. Not love is God, but God is love. That's one of the few times that we have the, the words God is and then an attribute. But what is love? What does it say in verses 9 to 11, what we just read? God gave up his only begotten son. He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the wrath-bearing sacrifice for our sins. What is love? Love is this. Love is a compassion and goodwill towards someone that sacrificially gives or does something for their benefit. So love is a doing love. That, that's a biblical love, a doing love. <clears throat> but it's also God's love is an initiating love. <clears throat> we weren't and aren't, by nature, lovable. We're not worthy of love. And yet, God loves us. It wasn't anything in us that attracted God to us. For all we had was our sin. And that doesn't attract God to us. We had no goodness in, our, in and of ourselves to motivate God to love us. It's in God's nature to love the unlovely. Remember 1 John 4 verse 10? Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. We didn't love God, but He loved us. And the Bible never gives us a reason why God loved us. A reason why God loves His people so much. But He does. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. It's, it's not while we were good enough, but while we were sinners. God demonstrates His own love towards us. Christ died for us. God shows His love, even though we are so unworthy of it. God's love is an initiating love. His love is demonstrated in His election. Ephesians 1 verse 4 and 5, it says, He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons. That's God's love. It's demonstrated in His election. Before we were even born, just before the foundation of the world, He chose us in Christ. God's love is an initiating love. 
In Romans 9, it says that before Jacob or Esau were born or had done anything good or bad, it was not based on works, but because of God's calling. And God says, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. These two brothers, they hadn't done any works. They hadn't done good or bad. But because God chose to set his love on Jacob, not Esau. God's love is an initiating love. And next, it's an eternal love. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, I have loved you, God speaking to his people, I have loved you with an everlasting love. This love is rooted and grounded in the loving choice of election and will continue for all eternity as God promises to never let his people go. It is a hesed love, and that's a word, hesed is the the word used to translate God's steadfast love, his covenant-keeping love in the Old Testament, an enduring, committed covenant love. Why does God love us this way? Because he loves us in Christ. Psalm 107 verse 1, Oh, give thanks to Yahweh for he is good, for his loving kindness endures forever. God's loving kindness endures forever. It doesn't end. But no, God's love for his people, God's love for you, for you is forever. It's an eternal love. But next, it's a kind and compassionate love. The Lord is always tender-hearted towards his people. He has a genuine care for them and they're good. I'm looking out at the crowds. It says Jesus felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. There is a tenderness in the love of God and the love of Christ. Psalm 103 verse 13 says, As a father shows compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him. Oh, indeed, a father and a mother had compassion, so much tenderness and compassion for their children. They loved them so much. So in the exact same way, God has compassion on those who fear him. Isaiah 30 verse 18. Therefore Yahweh waits with longing to be gracious to you, and therefore he is on high to have compassion on you. God is so... Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, God is He's just He's so longing to show his compassion to you. Do you know that God longs to be gracious and compassionate to you? He yearns to show His kindness to you. That's the kind of love God's giving. So God's love is a doing love. It's a sacrificial love. It's an initiating love. It's an eternal love. It's a a kind and compassionate love. Next, it's a joyful love. God rejoices over His people. Zephaniah 3 verse 17. Yahweh your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will be joyful over you with gladness. He will rejoice over you with joyful singing. Don't you find that funny? God sings and rejoices over his people. If you remember in the New Testament, Jesus says that there is much rejoicing in the presence of angels when one sinner repents. What's the rejoicing done in the presence of angels? That's God rejoicing. When one sinner repents, God rejoices over his people. It's a joyful love that God has for his people. Next, it's a gracious and merciful love. What is grace? Grace is undeserved favor or kindness. What is mercy? A heartfelt pity towards those who are in peril. John MacArthur says, In the economy of God's love, grace and mercy are two sides of the same coin. Mercy expresses his pity for fallen sinners. Grace delivers his pardon for their sin. 
Mercy rescues us from hell. Grace grants us a way into heaven. Mercy brings relief. Grace brings blessing. Ephesians 2 verse 4 to 7. And, and listen out for God's mercy and grace. It says, Ephesians 2 4 to 7. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in, so that in the coming ages he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It says God is rich in mercy. The great love with which he loved us. By grace you've been saved. That showing us the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness to us in Christ Jesus. All these things. God's love is a gracious and merciful love. John fifteen thirteen, Greater love has known than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is so gracious and so merciful in sacrificing himself for his people. It's beyond comparison. The depths of the love and the grace of the triune God is past searching out. This gracious love cannot be earned. It cannot be merited. It cannot be paid back. It is not by works. Ephesians 2 verse 9 says, or Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, that no one may boast. It's the gift of God, not of works. Indeed, God calls, justifies, He sanctifies, He forgives, He redeems, He glorifies all out of His amazing, gracious love. How should we respond? Well, first thing is we should recognize and revel in the ways of God's goodness to you all your days. Psalm 23 verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. And that's, 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 what, it, that's what it was um, for the psalmist David when he recognized God's goodness and his mercy. He, it's like he could taste it. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, We had a taste and see that God is good. Experiencing God's goodness, it's an, it, the knowledge of God's goodness is an experiential knowledge. It's like we're tasting and seeing it. But next we're to praise God for His goodness, His grace, and His steadfast love deserve our praise and unending thanks for all eternity. Indeed, we will never stop praising God for all of these things. Psalm 100 verse 4 to 5 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for Yahweh is good. His loving kindness endures forever and his faithfulness generation unto generation. God's goodness is so intrinsically linked with his loving kindness and his steadfast love. God is good and therefore he loves he doesn't just love for a short time and then get over us. No, his love endures forever because his goodness endures forever. And so we must praise him forever and ever and ever. So we are to praise God for all of eternity for his, his goodness and his love and his grace. But next we are to love others, particularly our brethren in Christ. We are to show them the love, the kind of love God has for us. We are to show them compassion and tenderness and pity and mercy and grace and kindness 
all flowing out of our love for others. We love because He first loved us. So our love flows out of God's love for us. And the more we understand God's love for us, so all the more our love will flow out to others as well. How can we, who are so so unworthy and yet such recipients of God's love, be so cold-hearted towards others sometimes, and yet this is what we're called to do. We're called to love others because He first loved us. And lastly, realize your unworthiness. If you think you're worthy, then you won't appreciate God's grace, His love, and His goodness. But it's when we realize the depths of our unworthiness that God's grace shines all the more. When we realize how much we do not deserve anything from God's hand, we will see God's glory and His grace and His goodness and His love so much more. And all these things we've mentioned, love for others, praising God, recognizing and reveling in God's goodness to us, it will shine all the brighter. God's goodness and grace and His kindness to us are overflowing for us in Christ Jesus. May we never forget that. Let me pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for all your goodness and your kindness and your compassion and your tenderness and your love and your mercy and your grace. Lord, you are just overflowing, abundant in goodness to those who fear you. And Lord, we do pray that we would hope in your steadfast love. We'd revel in, that we would love your love. We would we would just taste and, and see that you are good, that we would praise you for all eternity, and that we would love you for all eternity, and that we would love others too. Oh Lord, help us please. Fill our hearts with your love. Pour your love into our hearts by the Spirit whom you've given us, Romans 5 says. And may we never forget your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.